We've been preaching through the Psalms. Last week was October 31, which is the date on which Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg door. And therefore, if we are going to choose a time when the Reformation started, that is a pretty good choice. And so we call that the Reformation Day, Reformation Day. There were reform movements and individuals who sought to bring the, the church, the universal church, um, uh, back to the Bible before the 1500s. But Luther uh, was... The Lord worked so many things out with regard to the Gutenberg press and so many things that this became a great movement. And we can say that it is the most important act of history from the time of Jesus' resurrection to the present day. An amazing reformation. Um, Psalm 130, it was, a, was one of Luther's favorite psalms. And the song we sang, as you know, was, was written by Martin Luther um, based on Psalm 130. And so this is sort of an extension of, of Reformation celebration. Um, that there, there was a lot more I wanted to, to say and work in last week, and so it sort of spilled over into this week, and that's why Psalm 130 was chosen. It's just eight verses. Uh, it is for you and for me. It is about your sinfulness and my sinfulness. It is about iniquities and it is about forgiveness and the good news of the gospel. By, by Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, and not of works. That's... That's a large part, an important part of what Psalm 130 teaches. Let's stand and I'll read it. I'll be using the New American Standard Bible. This is God's Word, His holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant Word. Hear the Word of God. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray. Father, you have given us this word. You gave it to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that the same Holy Spirit would shine a light upon this inspired word, that it would be illumined or illuminated for us to pierce us in our hearts and in our minds and change us to be more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. 
If you have the outline, I would like to go ahead and point out the two pictures there. The first picture is supposed to be a sketch that would remind us of Luther praying to a holy God, repenting, placing his soul in the hands of a heavenly Father who would forgive all his sins, not because of his good works, but because of the gift of faith. For he had found in the Bible, in Romans chapter 3, verse 11, and then that goes back to Habakkuk 2, 4, he found out that the just shall live not by their works, but by faith. And that was the good news of the gospel. And so he's praying, asking forgiveness from a holy God, a loving God, That repentance and forgiveness given to the man with a repentant heart is what Luther found in Psalm 130. And in the other psalms that we call psalms of forgiveness, uh, psalms of repentance, or penitential psalms. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? That's the bad news. But... There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared, not taken for granted. You're still God. You're definitely still God, and we fear you. We love you as God. But there's forgiveness with you. O Israel, hope in the Lord, verse 7 says, For with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption, and he will redeem Israel. We're We're part of Israel. We're grafted in. Redeem Israel, spiritual Israel, from all their iniquities, all our iniquities. Well, that's the first little sketch there. The other sketch is called Luther's Rose. And he made this up. And um, he wrote a letter. He may have written lots of letters about it. He was very active in his life. But he wrote one particular letter to a friend that explains this. So for those of you who are coloring in, if you have that privilege, then this is, this is what it's supposed to look like. He says, this is Luther himself, of course, translated out of German. First, there is a black cross in a heart that remains its natural color. This is to remind me, Luther says, that it is faith in the crucified one that saves us. Anyone who believes from the heart will be justified, Romans 10.10. It is a black cross which mortifies and causes pain. It leaves the heart its natural color, so the heart is red. It doesn't destroy nature. That is to say, it does not kill us, but it keeps us alive. For the just shall live by faith in the crucified one. Romans 1.17 The heart should stand in the middle of a white rose. This is to show that faith gives joy, comfort, and peace. It puts the believer into a white, joyous rose. This isn't talking about any rivalry between York and Lancaster, white rose, red rose. This is talking about the gospel. Faith does not give peace and joy like the world gives. This is why the rose must be white, not red. This rose 
should stand in a sky blue field, symbolizing that a joyful heart and faith is a beginning of heavenly future joy, which begins now, but is grasped in hope, yet not fully revealed. And that's very close to what Psalm 130 is teaching us. Around the field of blue is a golden ring to symbolize that blessedness in in heaven, that blessedness in heaven lasts forever and has no end. Heavenly blessedness is exquisite, beyond all joy, and better than any possessions, just as gold is the most valuable and precious metal. So that's from a letter that Luther wrote in 1530. What do we find in, in Psalm 130? We'll find a big problem. And then we find a big, you might even say bigger, promise. And then maybe you could say an even biggest (laughs) provision of what was promised. The first is the depths. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. So this is prayer. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. And, and so we sang, From the depths of woe I raise to thee the voice of lamentation. Lord, turn a gracious ear to me and hear my supplication. See, Luther's just going right along with the psalm. If thou iniquities dost mark our secret sins and misdeeds dark, oh, who shall stand before thee? The big problem, I think, is something you know. You know we all fall short of the glory of God. You you all know that everything we do is tainted by sin. The best thing you do is tainted by sin because we're fallen, we live in a fallen world, but we're fallen and every aspect of us is tainted. Now, the Lord is working on all those aspects, and he's cleaning up our mouths. He's cleaning up our minds. He's cleaning up our our actions. He's in the process of mortifying that sin and, and, and making us more and more alive to him and dead to sin, more like Jesus. He's going through that process. But even when you go home this afternoon and you, have, and you pronounce the blessing, you ask the Lord to bless the food, you still didn't do that exactly right. There are all, all sorts of things within us that move in sinful directions. So you know what the big problem is. We need to be forgiven. We need to be forgiven. And if we're not forgiven, then what is facing us is eternal death. For the gift of God is eternal life. But the gift, but the but what we earn, our wages, the wages of that sin is death. But there is a promise. So look up and believe the promise. Verse three If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, recognizing iniquities, sins, rebellions, If you should mark iniquities, if you should keep a record of our iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? In other words, if you left them on our record. But but in Christ, they, they get removed and placed on the record of Jesus, our Savior. 
But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, and my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. And so we sing. To wash away the crimson stain, grace, grace alone availeth. Not, not doing work. That, that's what Psalm 130 teaches. And that's what he grabbed on to. Our works, alas, are, are all in vain. In much, the best life faileth. We've already sung this. You're committed to this. You know this. No man can glory in thy sight. All must alike confess thy might. And live alone by mercy. One time Luther was asked, what are, the, what are his favorite psalms? And he says, and the way it's written, it's in Latin, so it's, it's Psalmi Paulini, which means the psalms of Paul. Did you know Paul wrote psalms? <laughs> He called them the Psalms of Paul. They, they were the Psalms of forgiveness, the Psalms of repentance. And specifically, we say there are seven of them. He picked out four of them uh, when he answered this question. 32 and 51, and they, they were sort of a match in, in uh, David's life about repentance and forgiveness. And Psalm 130 and Psalm 143. The other three are 638 and 102. But those were, those were his, his four. Um, he said that these psalms were the psalms that taught the heart of what Paul preached. And so he called them the psalms of Paul. He says, for they teach us that the forgiveness of sins is vouchsafed to them that believe without the law and without works. Therefore, they are Pauline psalms. When David sings, with thee is forgiveness that thou mayest be feared, so Paul likewise says, God hath concluded all under sin that he may have mercy on all. Therefore none can boast of his own righteousness, but the words, thou mayest be feared, thrust away all self-merit, teach us to take off our hat before God and confess, it is all forgiveness, no merit. I'll go to those different psalms and see what they say, part of it, what they say. First, Psalm 32, the psalm of David. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin, Selah. Isn't that the gospel of Paul? Well, isn't it the gospel of Jesus Christ? But you know where Luther was. I mean, Luther, Luther beat himself, he starved himself, he, 
He prayed over and over again. He slept very little. He stayed in an unheated cell as a monk. He wanted to do whatever he could do to pay for his sins because God must hate him because he could never get over his sins. And he knew there were more sins to be forgiven. And, and it was a terrible thing for him. But when he, when he read Romans 1.17, he said that was like the gates of heaven just opened up. And, and he was accepted because he believed in Jesus Christ. And that's why he emphasizes it over and over. There are many emphases in Scripture. But you've got to have this one. You've got to have salvation by grace alone through faith alone. And that's not of yourself. It is a gift of God. So that there is no boasting. Psalm 51. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Of course he sinned against Bathsheba. Of course he sinned against Uriah, killing him. Of course he sinned against his parents. Of of course he lied. Of course he stole. Of course he coveted. Of course he stopped treating God as his God. Of course he made himself an idol. Of course, here he was the king of God's people. He had God's name on him and he dishonored that name of God. He broke all Ten Commandments at the same time. Of course he did. And a lot of those were against the people of Israel, his family, Bathsheba's family, Uriah, his family. But he recognizes the big deal is sinning against God. So if you, if you come to that point that he came to and recognize that sinning against God puts you in a terrible position and you feel that weight on you, And you pray with Psalm 143, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. Answer me in your faithfulness and your righteousness. And do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no man living is righteous. Then take Psalm 130, verse 4. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. One old commentator back in the 1600s, wrote a book on those seven psalms. He called it the, the sacred centenary, meaning these holy seven psalms. They're holy and they're, they're wonderful. So he included Psalm 130. And about Psalm 130, he says that the verses 3 and 4 contain the sum of all the scriptures. In the third is the form of repentance, and then the fourth is the mercies of the Lord. So, so think about this. We have, fairly recently during the pandemic, we've had the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of the month. We are anticipating it sometime in the future that we may be able to have covered dish dinners once again on the first Sunday of the month. And, therefore, we're going back to having the Lord's Supper on the second Sunday of the month. So that's next Sunday. Take this message home with you. These are the two steps, verse 3 and verse 4, to come before the Lord's Supper. And we need to be reminded of this every time, every time we come. So take this as as an old Presbyterian tradition of having a worship service the week before you have the Lord's Supper so that you, it helps you to be prepared for it. Repentance and faith and then receiving forgiveness. Forgiveness that you and I do not deserve. Freedom 
from bondage. You, you see what Psalm 130 is saying. In the depths of woe, it's called de profundis. De, the, in, if you were, you know, he, he read it in Latin, and then he began to study the Hebrew and the Greek. But in Latin, it was de profundis, you know, from profound, the depths, clamavi, I have clamo, like exclaim, proclaim, the clamo there, call out. I have called out to you from, from the depths. And, and then he's promised the heights. He sees his big problem, he gets the big promise, and he knows the big provision is on the way. So it's like Jonah on the land. It's like Joseph out of prison. You remember he asked to get out of prison? And then it, he says, remember me to Pharaoh, get me out of prison. And the next chapter says, two full years later. But finally he gets out of prison. It's like Jeremiah being put in. If you read that part of Jeremiah in 38, um, at the beginning of the service is Jeremiah being put into a well. There's no water in the well. He didn't drown, but there was mud in the well. And he's stuck in the mud. He's real stick in the mud. And, but then, but, and he thought he was going to die there. The king thought he was going to die. And Ebimelech, his friend, thought he was going to die. And they got 30 guys together to lift him back up out of the well, using a rope and rags under his armpits. But finally, he was out of the well. That's, all these are pictures of what God does with us. The great picture, Jesus risen from the dead. And Jesus taking us with him from the depths to the heights. He's prepared a place for you in the heights. So get ready for it. It's, it's the children of Israel out of Egypt. It's, it's Job now with double the children, seven more. Seven more sons, three more, three more daughters, Jemima, Keziah, and Karen Hapuk. It's Mordecai and Esther and all the Jews alive at the end of the year. It's Isaac unbound. Walking around beside the altar, watching the substitute lamb that had been caught in the thicket. Ram caught in the thicket being sacrificed for him. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego coming out. And they don't even have the smell of smoke on them. It's Daniel. It's hearing the king say, Daniel, after he should have been dead. But he goes and yells at him anyway the next morning. Servant of the living God. Has your God whom you constantly serve been able? Has he been able? That's a theme in, in Daniel. Been able to deliver you from the lions. God is able to deliver you from your sins. From all your sins and sorrows. And you pray and you wait for him. It's like the man who has been lame from his mother's womb, going into the temple with Peter and John, walking around and leaping and praising God. The big promise is wrapped up in the resurrection of Jesus. And it will come to pass. What do you do between now and then? You wait. God's people are waiting people. Don't think you're going to stop waiting. The Old Testament people waited for the first coming of Jesus. And he came. We're waiting from the second, for the second coming of Jesus, and he will come. God's people are designed by him to be awaiting people. We watch and pray as much as the watchman 
wait for the morning. Now, you understand, watchmen are not out there on the wall just so they can say, Hey, guys, the sun's up. You know, we must not have a rooster. I need to be a substitute rooster. That's not what it is. It, during the night, you can't see your enemy coming. I read a book sometime, and I can't find where... I thought I knew what book it was in. I couldn't find it this week. But um, there, it, it's in Vietnam, and I think it was right toward the early part of when this, when this soldier was able... He's just getting out there, first contact with the Viet Cong. And it's at night, and he can't tell that they're coming in their black pajamas. And they're, they're keeping watch. And, and there's, suddenly he sees this little red dot going up, going, coming up his leg. And he realizes he's in somebody's sight. And, so, and that, it's, it's like that. You watch, the, the watchman watches, and at daybreak, he has a sigh of relief. Because now you can see the enemy out there. The, everybody inside the fortress can see the enemy. Everybody inside the bunker can see the enemy. Inside the foxhole can see the enemy. But during, during the night you can't. So the watchmen eagerly look for answers to prayer. And that's what we do. He wants us to do that. Watch and pray and hope and trust. Have faith. It's living not by what you see, but it's living by what he says. It's living by the word. It's taking your big problem and all the other problems that come with it and believing what he says in his big promise. What's the big provision? Well, it's the heights. It's the celestial city. It's, it's heaven. It's amazing freedom from hell that we all deserve. O Israel, hope in the Lord, verse 7. For with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. You have lots of problems. And my guess is you have some you haven't identified yet. But I can tell you what your biggest problem is. It's in verse 3 and in verse 8. It's your sins, it's your iniquities. Dave Profundus. Luther knew himself to be in the depths without hope, saving God's sovereign mercy. Dave Profundus clamavi ad te domine. Out of the depths I have called to you, called out to you, O God, Psalm 130. You must recognize where you are when you first recognize you're in the depths because of your rebellion against God. He promises, if you pray and give yourself to him, that he will bring you up out of the depths. That you must remember where you were when you first realized that you were in the belly of the fish. You were in Jonah chapter 1. And you prayed the prayer of Jonah chapter 2. And the Lord God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress, or from the depths, to the Lord. And he answered me, and I cried from, for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. You must hear that the Lord has the right to send you to hell. 
You must know that you deserve to be sent to hell. You must know that if you do not belong body and soul to Jesus Christ, and that's a very different thing from doing some things and saying some things that are nicely religious. If you do not belong body and soul to Jesus Christ, then you are on your way to a bad end where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you can find those words in Matthew 8 and Matthew 13 and Matthew 22 and Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. Jesus said them, and in Luke 13. You must hear that the Lord has prepared hell for the unrighteous. You must hear that such were you, or such are you, according to where you are spiritually. Hear Paul speak of your bad news, your conviction before the judge. And hear Paul speak of your redemption. Verse 3 and verse 4 and verse 8. You, will you not fear him and praise him, love him and serve him? 1 Corinthians 6 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. It's not a done deal if you're a liar, if you're still living and hear the good news. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the praise of our God. So we say, praise God, hallelujah, salvation is coming. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are preparing you for glory. Wait for it with patience. What though I wait the live long night until the dawn appeareth, my heart still trusteth in his might. It doubteth not, nor feareth. Do thus, O ye of Israel's seed, ye of the Spirit, born indeed, and wait till God appeareth. Though great our sins and sore our woes, His grace much more aboundeth. Heard that song in another place, His mercy is more. His helping love no limit knows, our utmost need it soundeth. Our shepherd good and true is He, who will at last his Israel free from all their sin and sorrow. It's like Joshua the high priest in Zechariah 3. He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing on his right hand to accuse him. The word Satan means the accuser. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Isn't that all of us? <laughs> we're headed for the fire. We're plucked out of the fire, and we're, we're, we're made into part of the temple. Now, Joshua was, fo- was clothed with filthy garments. This is a vision of Zechariah. Filthy garments meaning human excrement, terrible filth. Filthy garments standing before the angel. He spoke and said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments. That's what God says to you because of what Jesus has done. Remove the filthy garments from him. And again he said, See, I've I've taken away your iniquity from you and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. It's like Edmund in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The witch taunts, You have a traitor here, Aslan. 
Of course, everyone present knew that she meant Edmund. But Aslan knew the plan that was older than Narnia, and he would carry it out. Charles Spurgeon, long before C.S. Lewis, put it this way. And I I wonder if C.S. Lewis read this about the traitor as Spurgeon writes about our Psalm 130. Let's listen to Mr. Spurgeon. How significant is that word, but, in Psalm 130? It is as if you heard justice clamoring, let the sinner die. And the fiends of hell clamoring, cast him down into the fires. And conscience shrieking, let him perish. And nature itself groaning beneath the weight, the earth weary of carrying him, the sun tired of of shining upon the traitor, the very air sick with finding breath for one who only spends himself in disobedience to God. The man is about to be destroyed, to be swallowed up, when suddenly there comes the thrice-blessed but which stops the reckless course of ruin, puts its strong hand, bearing a golden shield between the sinner and the destruction, and pronounces the words, but there is forgiveness with God that he may be feared. Does your heart not thrill to hear those words from Psalm 130? Though great our sins and sore our woes, His grace much more aboundeth. I mentioned the Valley of Vision a few weeks ago. Maybe I should close with it now. From the depths to the heights, there is a big problem down here. We are big problems. And we lived in a cursed universe. That's a big problem. But we have heard the joyful sound. It's a big promise. Jesus saves. We are headed for the full outworking of God's big provision for us. Living within His blessing now and living with Him forever in glory. Everything is a surprise. Salvation is is unexpected, almost unbelievable. Redemption comes out of the blue. How is it possible that we don't get what we deserve? Sinners are saved. The crucified lives. The lamb is a lion. Mortals like you and me are immortals. We in Christ are his everlasting companions. But God changes everything. Here's the Valley of Vision prayer. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me into the Valley of Vision, where I see in the depths, where I live in the depths, but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold your glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up. That to be low is to be high. That the broken heart is the healed heart. 
that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from the deepest wells. In the daytime, stars can be seen from the deepest wells. And the deeper the wells are, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley, from all their sins and sorrows.